You couldn't set that up any better. Here's, here's where we're at. We're in Luke 15 this morning, if you want to start turning there. But, man, it's all about what we just sang. The goodness of God pursuing us, running after us. And we're going to see that the whole point of this chapter is this, that Jesus enjoys pursuing people. He enjoys it. So, getting excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so, how many of you guys have seen the painting of Jesus knocking on the door? Anyone? Okay, don't throw it up there just yet, okay? Um, maybe you grew up with it in church or something, okay? But it, it, just by show of hands, I just want to see. Who knows what I'm talking about, like, instantly? Okay, good, 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 good. I know my audience. All right. So, let's show this, this one, all right? This version. <laughs> okay, comical, right? Um, but sadly, sadly, it's how many of us view Jesus sometimes. And in fact, this meme is going around by atheists to mock Christianity. So comical. I don't mean to just kill it, right? But if we're all honest, it's how many of us view Jesus sometimes. The thought goes something like this. Jesus loves us and he pursues us mainly just so we can get out of hell. Or, or the thought goes, Jesus cares about us, but he doesn't actually care about me that much. Or Jesus pursues me mainly just so he can whip me into shape. Or Jesus loves me, but I'm not certain he actually likes me or enjoys me. The truth in Luke 15, and really all of Scripture, is this. Jesus enjoys pursuing people. Jesus enjoys pursuing people, and he pursues people not merely to save us from himself, although he does, he does it to save us to himself. You know what I'm talking about? He's saving us so we can have the most fulfilling relationship possible, the relationship we were created for with him. So let's dive into Luke 15 here this morning, and I, I just want to tell you, this is an incredible humbling privilege of mine to bring you this chapter. This is one of the most quoted chapters in the Bible and has been treasured for centuries by followers of Jesus. So I'm excited, but I'm a little scared too, because what do I have to add to this, you know? So we'll just let God's word speak for itself. So let's dive in. Luke 15, verse 1. Here's the context. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the stage, okay? Two different types of people listening. One group are the quote-unquote sinners. And they, notice they approach to actually listen. They want to hear from Jesus, okay? These were people who were regarded as messy, Okay, they, they were struggling with sin, blatant sin in their lives. And they come ready to hear from Jesus. But then you have these Pharisees, these religious leaders who were coming to just complain. But these guys were regarded 
as put together by society. And Jesus, notice, he doesn't go, Pharisees, get out of here. I just want to talk to you messy people. No, he goes, he addresses both of them. So don't get lost in this. You, you can read this passage and think, oh, this is just for people who are really messed up. And I'm telling you, Jesus talks to everyone there. So let's listen. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. What do we learn of Jesus' pursuit of people in this passage? We learn that Jesus himself pursues people. He, he doesn't delegate this to the angels or to someone else. He himself personally pursues each one of us individually. So I think of um, my time as a camp counselor out at Hidden Acres, and this is the way it was structured back then. Some of you who work there can correct me later if I'm wrong now, but um, there would be in a cabin with kids, there'd be a junior counselor and a senior counselor, and the senior counselor's like in charge, and the junior counselor is in charge, but you know, they, they you know, kind of do the stuff the senior counselor doesn't want to do, and you know, that sort of thing, but no, they're, they're just helping along, and um, I observed one cabin one week where a senior counselor had a really challenging kid in his cabin. Okay, just really difficult. And so he could have easily said, junior counselor, this camper's your job for the week, okay? But instead, he himself did what he could to help with this camper. So when he was going off, creating trouble over here, he would go off and help himself. And this is what this passage is talking about. Jesus himself. He doesn't delegate it to someone else. God himself leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Jesus drops everything to pursue people. Borderline, as the, the song we're going to sing in a little bit says, reckless. But let me talk about this for a second. And let's, let's look at this a little more in depth. Obviously, shepherds at this time... Most of them had help. They had hired hands, okay? So shepherds would not completely abandon their 99 to go after the one. And Jesus, spiritually here, the point, Jesus obviously is, well, God. And God can't drop anything, right? He's God. He simultaneously can be doing everything and can be omnipresent everywhere at the same time. So it's not that he actually drops anything in order to go after one, the point is that Jesus cares so much about individuals that he goes to extreme lengths to pursue each heart. And the key here is verse 7. And, and most of Jesus' parables, he makes his point at the end of them. So we can't get too caught up in the details of them. And, and that's really important, especially with other parables, as we're going to see in coming weeks. But he, he usually just makes his point. This is what I'm talking about. And he says it at the, at the end here in verse 7. He says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner 
who repents. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Let's break this apart a little bit. Jesus enjoys going after people who need repentance. And his joy comes when they repent. Let's talk about his enjoyment though. Enjoy, when I say that this morning, when I'm saying that Jesus enjoys pursuing people, I'm saying that he enjoys it in that he likes the results, but the process is often difficult. Jesus enjoys the result of finding the lost sheep, but it's hard work pursuing that sheep. The joy of the result, though, far outweighs the pain of the process. Let me give you an example. So imagine, and maybe this is very true for some of you, um, maybe it's very true right now, but imagine you have a kid who's really struggling academically. And so for years, you, you have nights and nights of tears and trying to help them out. Maybe you even get a tutor, hire a tutor to help them out. And just day after day, year after year of just tears and struggling, one step forward, two steps back. But then the day comes and they graduate high school and they get their diploma. And the joy of that day outweighs the struggle of those years, right? See, this is what it's like. Jesus willingly goes through the agonizing process of pursuing people, people who often ignore him, people who often insult him in the process. But when they finally turn and repent, the joy far outweighs the struggle. See, Jesus' enjoyment is over just one person one sinner who repents, it says. Jesus cares intimately about each one of us individually. It says there's great joy in heaven over just one who repents. So, it got me thinking of birthdays, and maybe it's because it was my birthday this week. I don't know, but I think y'all will relate with it. So, there's levels of telling someone happy birthday, isn't there? We all know this, right? So if someone, if someone writes on you know, your social media page, happy birthday, Matt, or happy birthday, whoever, that's, that's kind of level one. That's cool. That's great. Praise God. You know, thank you if you did that for mine. That's, that's awesome. That's good. But that's kind of level one. The next level would be something like maybe a text message, a little more personal, right? Happy birthday, Matt, or as one friend of mine always texts me, HBD, Matt, um, which, which I get a good chuckle out of. But then you have a little more personal. Maybe you get a, a personal heartfelt text or note in the mail or a call. And then you have the level of this, okay? This is what I came to the church to in my office this week. And there was more than this picture even shows. Like, it was just filled with balloons. Apparently, you know how those water balloons, you can just blow up a ton of them at the same time? Apparently, there's a device where you can do that with regular balloons, too, because I was looking at them like, well, how do they do that? So, um, but yeah, just happy birthday, Matt, on there. That was, that was awesome. I, I felt really loved and appreciated. A personal gift, right? Something like this that just goes out of your way to say, happy birthday. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus and all of heaven go to the fill your office with balloon type celebration when one person repents. That is the type of joy he has, but he's not the one who just has it. He invites all of heaven, all of the angels, everyone 
to throw a party. This is Jesus' level of enthusiasm and enjoyment over just one individual. He's not going, oh, well, good, glad you're finally in the kingdom, took you long enough. You know, he's not going, hey, let's just, you know, a bunch of people came to know Jesus this week, you know, let's, let's have a little party for, for all the newbies and just take care of it in one little office party, it'll be great. No, over one person, he's throwing a bash. All of heaven is rejoicing. He's pulling out the red carpet, all the stops for this celebration. And it's over one person. And it's over one person who does what? Who repents. So let's talk about that for a second. What is repentance? We saw this in chapter 13 a couple weeks ago. Repentance is turning away from sin and then turning towards God. Repentance means you want help. Turning away from sin and turning towards God. So I got a little video of a sheep to show you that I thought could help us here. I, I could have used this in a million different ways in this sermon, so you can extrapolate it however you want later in the sermon too, but here's, here's how I'm going to use it right now. If, imagine this guy comes up to the sheep who's in the, in the crevice there, in, in the pit, and they're like, and the sheep could talk, say that you can talk to the sheep. Okay, just run with me, all right? Get a little Dr. Doolittle with me. You're, you're talking to the sheep, and the sheep goes, no, I don't want help. No, please, don't help me. Okay, thank you. I've been working on that. Appreciate that. Hours. Um, here's the point. If we tell Jesus, no, I don't want your help, Jesus is a gentleman, and he'll let us be. It doesn't mean that Jesus does not pursue us. It doesn't mean he tries to talk us. Hey, no, really, let me help you. Come on, I can just pull you out. Come on. It's not like he doesn't knock on the door, but we ought to open it. That's repentance. His joy comes for those who repent. It doesn't mean he doesn't enjoy, it doesn't mean that he doesn't pursue the unrepentant and go for it. It means that his joy comes when they repent, when they say, I want help. I want you to pull me out. Jesus doesn't like letting people stay stuck in their sin and their selfishness. It isn't joyful to him. He doesn't get excited about that. In fact, it breaks his heart. But he is joyful and he is excited over people who go, help. And they turn away from their sin and they turn towards him. Help me. And instantly, he pulls them out. Jesus enjoys pursuing people who repent. He says the same thing in a different way in the next part of the text. Let's look at verses 8 through 10 now. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. 
Jesus enjoys pursuing people. What do we learn of his pursuit in this particular story? Well, we learn that it's relentless. He, he doesn't stop. Even if the sheep's going, no, don't pull me out. He's like, no, really, I can help you right now. Come on, just let me. I love you that much. One silver coin here. This lady loses one silver coin. This would have been a Roman denarius, which would have been worth one day's wage. So let's just imagine for a second, and I know that I'm shooting on the low end here, but let's just run with me. Imagine that you make $12.50 an hour and work eight hours a day. You would make $100 in one day. And that's excluding taxes, but let's just forget about taxes since it's a made-up story, right? Amen? All right. So $100, you got a Benjamin, right? You got 10 of them, and you lose one of them. Now, you would definitely search your house high and low for that $100 bill. But if you searched real hard, couldn't find it, you probably wouldn't lose any sleep over it. All right? You'd still be looking around in the days coming. But my guess is most of us wouldn't go bananas if, if we searched and searched and searched and couldn't find it. But here, this gal searches carefully until she finds it. She is not stopping until it is found. And Jesus' pursuit of people is the same way. It's relentless. He does not quit. Even when people put their hands in their ears while people are talking about Jesus to them or they're reading scripture or sitting in church or ignoring his pursuit of him in other ways, he just keeps on knocking. That's Jesus. Relentless. And the key is in verse 10 to this parable, almost verbatim from verse 7, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus' enjoyment is described here in verse 9. This gal says, Rejoice with me because I have found the the silver coin I lost. Her joy is contagious, extravagant. She's getting all her friends, Hey, rejoice with me. Come on over. Get excited, everyone. And this is, what, this is what Jesus does. And this is what we do too sometimes as well. So kids, when you get a new toy, you end up telling them about your new toy, right? That's what I'm talking about. Adults, you do the same thing, okay? At least I do. So maybe I'm just a kid at heart, who knows? But I got a Blackstone grill, all right? And I am not much of a griller, or I know even this weekend I saw some of you posting about smoking meat for 20 hours, and I'm like, that's cool, I don't do that. Um, I'll eat it, though, if you want me to. No, but, um, but I just, I'm not a great cook, but man, this thing makes me a great cook. Put, slap a bunch of oil and throw it on there, bam, tastes great, okay? And I, every, I mean, if I've talked to you within the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard me go off about the Blackstone Grill, Okay. Um, I'm loving it, enjoying it. I just can't shut up about it. This is what's going on. This is Jesus' joy. When one sinner who repents, when, when one coin is found, one person is found, Jesus goes, you, you have got to see this. Come, come over here. Get, get excited. Let's throw a party. You've got to see this. And over what? One person. Jesus values you. Jesus values me and every person ever so much that he doesn't just pursue them. He thoroughly enjoys it, complete 
with a party when they repent. Why? Why does Jesus value each one of us so much? Here's why. Because you are the only thing in creation that was created to represent God and that can have a relationship with God. Squirrels, they're funny to watch, but sorry, you don't get a relationship with God and you definitely don't represent him. Okay? Twitchy, no, that's not God. But here's why he values us so much. What I'm describing right now is what Genesis 1, page 1 of your Bible, calls made in the image of God. This is you. You have the image of God inside of you. Before you lifted a finger, before you took a breath, God valued you more than you could imagine or describe. And Jesus' enjoyment is over each one of us who repent. Let me describe repentance a little more with this mindset, with the image of God mindset. When we realize that our sin has totally mangled and marred the image of God in us, and when we realize that we are made in his image, and that we were created to represent God and to to enjoy relationship with God, when we do this, When we wake up to this reality and really see ourselves the way God sees us, made like him, by him, and for him, we really start to live. See, Jesus loves it when when we see ourselves the way we were meant to see ourselves, the way he sees us, see ourselves properly, and here's how we need to see ourselves. We are, A, helpless helplessly in need of Jesus, helplessly in need of a Savior, yet be, but like the same. They're not on different levels. We are helplessly in need of a Savior and at the same time infinitely loved and valued by Jesus. And the cross of Jesus Christ proves it. It reveals both to us. It reveals how helpless we are that that someone had to go and die on a cross because of my sin and your sin. But it also shows us how much he loves each one of us, that he would take on our sins personally, that he would substitute himself for us. I deserve that punishment. You deserve that punishment. Not Jesus, but he went there because he loved us so much. Our greatest need is met by his greatest act of love. And so Jesus in all of heaven is filled with joy when each person accepts and admits that they are helplessly in need of him and infinitely valued and loved by him. Jesus enjoys pursuing people. Let's turn to the last part of this chapter. Save the best for last, right? Here we go. He also said, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. But not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to eat 
his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion and he ran And he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them. And your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. And then he became angry. And he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look. I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. What do we learn of Jesus' pursuit of people in this particular parable? We learn that he pursues both the messy and put together people. He pursues the hearts of both of them. Let's start with the messy. Let's start with the younger son. Verse 20. So he got up, the younger son, after he screwed up his life and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. In a surprising turn of events, the father is filled with compassion, not resentment, not bitterness, compassion. He feels for him at his core. Why? This son did this to himself. He got what he deserved. Here's why. Listen well. The father cared so much and was filled with so much compassion because his son's heart was no longer turned away from him, but was turned towards him. This is Jesus' heart, full of compassion for messy people. And if we're all honest, it's all of us. Jesus is full of compassion for people whose hearts are broken and turned towards him, regardless of the mess they just walked out of the night before. This morning, they're coming towards him. Jesus, surprisingly, isn't sitting there bitter 
standing there shaking his head, going, all right, I guess you're my son, come in. No. Surprisingly, he goes, I have been waiting for you all along. This is what Jesus does when someone repents. He goes, I've been waiting for you all along. I anticipated this moment by dying on a cross and rising from the dead, by the way, for you. So let's throw a party. Let's get the black stone out and grill. You know what I'm saying? Let's get the steaks going. Let's celebrate. What's lost has been found. I've been waiting for this. His heart is filled with compassion. But this is just his heart for the messy younger brother. Let's hear his heart for the older brother. In case you missed it, verse 28, the older brother, he's sitting there, he's angry. He didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. He pleads with him. The son, and the son goes, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Listen, verse 31, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. He doesn't go, you ungrateful jerk, get out of here. If I was the dad, I'd be real tempted to do that with this older son. If I could have enough compassion to welcome that younger son, welcome that younger son in to begin with. But this father pursues his heart, and Jesus pursues our hearts and goes, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. He pleads with his heart by recentering and reaffirming him. He recenters him. You are always with me. You are always with me. This is about our relationship, not the wealth and the prizes. This is, this is what matters. We've always been together. Relationship. We've had this all along. Did you forget? You're always with me. He's recentering him. This has always been about our relationship. And the father's going, it's always been about me. Quit making it about you, son. But then he reaffirms him. Everything I have is yours. He's saying, you, you have security and stability already. I haven't forgotten your faithfulness. And you've got, you're not going to be left out to dry. But he pleads with his older son's heart. And it's like he's saying to this older son, get off your pedestal. It's like the older son is up here going, I am better than my brother. And I deserve to be up here. And the father is going, I've already come down from my pedestal. And I actually deserve to be on that pedestal because I am the father. But he's like, I've already come down to welcome your younger brother. Why don't you get off too? Because you don't belong there. And why don't you join me and my heart and be filled with the same compassion that I have for your brother? You know my heart. We've been together all these years. Why do you think you're better than your brother? You know my heart. Share my heart. And get off of your high horse. And join in the compassion. Join in the party. Come on into the house. And this is Jesus. He pursues both messy and put together people. 
This story, I don't know if you noticed it, is intentionally left unfinished. The older brother is invited into the party by the father, but we don't know what he does. Maybe he goes in, maybe he doesn't. Stays angry, we don't know. The younger brother as well gets this party, but we don't know what happens the next day. This younger brother could have enjoyed this for a night and then gone and lived recklessly the next day. We don't know. And it's left unfinished for a couple different reasons, I think. One, and most importantly, the spotlight is supposed to be on the father, not on the sons. The spotlight is on the father in his heart who pursues both messy and put together sons. The spotlight, the point is that God pursues both messy people and put together people and everyone in between, everyone. But the second reason it's left unfinished is it puts the ball in the reader's or the listener's court to respond. Jesus is going to his audience, to the the put together Pharisees and to the messed up sinners who are coming to him and going, hey, repent. My arms are open wide. And it's like he's, he's saying to us, turn away from your sin and come to me. And so for if you're here this morning and you're like, I am just messed up today. And this is true in stages of our lives, even as followers of Christ. So don't just exempt yourself if you're following Jesus, where we're just living in blatant sin. If this is where you're at, I plead with you to turn away from that sin. Admit and come to grips with your sin that, yes, does deserve hell and turn towards the Father's open arms and experience His joy. Enjoy the fact that you don't get what you deserve. Enjoy the fact that the one who you stiffed-armed with your sin maybe an hour before you got here this morning is here an hour later with His arms open wide. I'm pleading with you today, just like this father pleads with his son. I'm pleading with you today. Don't wait until you're starving and wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. Don't wait until that sin that you're coddling destroys you and others around you more than it already has in your life. Don't wait till you're sitting in jail or divorced or estranged from your kids or worse. Jesus is pursuing your heart today, right now, knocking on the door of your heart, right now as you sit here. Repent. His arms are open wide. He's not sitting there shaking his fist, pointing a finger. He's going, no, I love you. Come on home. I'm begging you, turn away from your sin and run to the Father's open arms today. But the call is not just for you who are a bit messy right now. The call is actually for you who at least you think are put together today. And the call for you is to turn away from your own self-righteousness. Let me read this from author Paul Tripp. To whatever extent I'm able to convince myself that my sin isn't really sin, That is, that my little wrongs do not really rise to the level of what Jesus died for. I'm not really that excited about grace. Why? 
because I've convinced myself that I don't really need the rescue and forgiveness that grace offers. And to the degree that I am able to work myself into believing that I am righteous, I have less esteem for the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is the only righteousness with which I can stand before God. What about you? Have you really abandoned your righteousness? Perhaps before you start confessing your sin, you should first confess your righteousness. Turn away from your own self-righteousness. God's undeserved grace is what's gotten you anyway, anywhere in your walk with Jesus. The more you convince yourself that you have arrived, the less convinced you become of your need of Jesus. And that's a scary place to live. The call for you, this is where you're at, is to get off of your pedestal. Just like the father says to the older son, get off your pedestal. And the call to you today, Jesus is going, hey, guess what? There is no first rate, second rate, third rate Christians. Not a thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So quit thinking you're better than other people. And come down from your high horse. And start confessing your own self-righteousness to God. It's like, it's like the Father, God the Father is saying, hey, come in and join the party. Humbly remember that the only reason you are at the party is because of me. Join me in celebrating others who are repenting. Join me in pursuing and inviting others to the party even. Don't just come to the party and get fat. Invite others to the party. But life has seasons, doesn't it? I mean, for followers of Christ, too, life has seasons. There are some times where we're like the younger son. We're, we're like the messy ones here, caught up in blatant sin. And there are other times where we're like the older son, caught up in our own self-righteousness. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Hear me well. I'm not saying that we go in and out of salvation. If you have trusted in Christ, you are secure and your salvation is 100% final and secure. Why? Not because of you, because of what he did. It's final. It's complete. But I am saying this. We all always need repentance. Following Jesus is not about being perfect but it is definitely about being repentant. The call is for us to constantly turn away from our sin and turn away from ourself and turn towards Jesus. So wherever you find yourself this morning, repent. The call is the same for both the messy and the put together. Repent. And the Father's arms are the same. They're open wide, ready to welcome you in and give you a big old hug. Run to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your arms are open wide today. And so I pray for those hearts in here that are just wrestling with some sin. that They just know is there and they're just not caring like they should. Help them to be convicted and then to run to your arms and find grace and forgiveness and healing and hope. And for those of us here today who are like, yep, 
no, I don't really need this message. I know this story, and I've got it pretty much together. Soften our hearts once again, Jesus. Forgive us for having such callous hearts to the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. And help us to get excited once again for our only hope in life and death, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two invitations for you during this last song. The first invitation is this. If you are able to, and you're at a spot this morning where you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying you need to repent, then I invite you during this song to kneel as an act of humble submission and repentance before God, to just kneel wherever you're at. And maybe if just physically you can't do that as a sign, just put your hands out like that if that's what you desire. I'm not trying to force you into anything, but if, if God is knocking, answer this morning. And the second invitation is this. My wife, Heather, and I will be out in the lobby. And if you want to come to talk with someone, get some prayer, some encouragement, or maybe what you need is just a big hug to remind you of the Father's arms that are open wide. We're going to be out there if you'd like to come and receive some encouragement and some hope. So let's stand, and if you would like to, kneel, and we'll be in the back. But let's sing this song.